welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 204. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, folks, I'll just come out and say it. It's that time of the month again. Oh yeah, you ladies know what I'm talking about. Old Aunt Flo is in town visiting again for the week, dressed up, as usual, in the clever guise of Martin Lawrence. There's no getting around it. Time to bust out the baggy sweatpants and the Sarah McLaughlin CDs. Or Melissa Etheridge, it doesn't really matter. Ugh, actually, okay, maybe that's unfair. Let's, yeah, let's, can we go with McLaughlin? I don't know, I just feel like she's coming from a really honest place right now. Yeah, it's time. But you know what? You know what you do? You pack up that all, and you pack up that heating pad, and that half-gallon tub of frozen yogurt, and your giant smoked turkey leg, and a, a, a pickle, probably... And then you kindly depart from the village, lest your strange and powerful magic overwhelm our shaman. Yes, it's that time. It's the final week of Women and Aliens Appreciation Month. You son of a bitch! I know, I know, but listen, we knew it was coming up. No, I, I'm not happy about it. I just... Um, a, a pickle. I love you more than my mom. Works every time. I want to watch you sleep. Okay, uh, I want to watch you sleep, too. Yeah, Women and Aliens Month is over. But you know what? Like any good period joke, we stretched it out way longer than it needed to be. Yeah, you might have noticed. This last month, we were a little spotty. Our production schedule, I mean, it hasn't been the regular flow of episodes that you've come to expect when you reach down there and pull out your iPad. And hey, I get it. I know it can be a, a rough time for you, an emotional roller coaster. And the worst part has got to be all like waiting for it to come, huh? I mean, you know, you know the episode's coming up soon at some point, but you don't know exactly when. So you're just like, okay, when's it going to get here? And then after a while, you're like, oh my God, let's just do this. And then when it doesn't come, when you're expecting, you start freaking the hell out and you go to the hospital demanding people look at your pee and you're like, I haven't had my Drabble cast. And then... Slosh. There's just Drabblecast everywhere. Yeah, I don't know how you guys do it. Because hell, things are just getting started by then. Seriously, respect. We don't even know the half of what you guys go through. I mean, you get all cranky and irritable. Battletoads is one of the hardest f***ing games ever made. I've played Bayou Billy, and I've played Ghosts and Goblins, and I've played Ghostbusters, and I've played a lot of f***ing hard games. And let me tell you something, this f***ing game is impossible. It's impossible. How do you f***ing people sleep at night? Nauseous. It'll literally make you want to puke playing this game. Maybe a little touchy. Quit sending me white fences on farm bills. I want plants. I don't want no fences. If you're gonna send me some, send me some I can use. You get depressed, discouraged. Oh my god, the monsters, there's a 20% dog nerf. What are you thinking putting that in the zone? It doesn't make any sense. Angry, frustrated. Did you expect a caster to tank one of the blood princes and he has negative dogs? Oh my god, I'm so upset. I'm gonna have a heart attack. Combative. Snorlax, only Snorlax can hold ten. Look at him. He's huge. He's more ripped than you. Shut the f 
Argumentative. That's not right, too, Dick. That's the Whiny. It's a one-time thing? I can only throw it once? Ugh. God damn it, Karnov. Sardonic. Really? Is that enough goblins? Your skin breaks out. Damn, no! Your boobs hurt. Fudge And, just to make things even more complicated, you get horny. Ugh, that's a grimy nerdgasm. That's a Chinese myth dragon. Well, that's tangential. No, Dick, it's wiggly tough. Whatever. No, no, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. Okay, you know what? I'm done with this kid. No, I'm I'm done with you. This kid doesn't know shit. You don't know shit. You don't know shit. Oh come on, you got your head up your ass. You get to see it all the time. Oh, Melissa Etheridge, Estrogen for the win. It's doubleheader special number nine, featuring two stories by the magnanimous Tina Connolly, a day out with stereoscopes and hard choices. Tina Connolly lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband and a brand new baby boy. Her stories have appeared in Strange Horizons, Fantasy, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and the anthology Unplugged, Year's Best Sci-Fi Online 2008. Her debut fantasy novel, Iron Skin, is forthcoming from tour in spring 2012, with a sequel in 2013. She's a frequent reader for Escape Pod and Podcastle, and she works as a face painter, which means a glitter-filled house is an occupational hazard. Her website's at tinaconnolly.com. As per usual, you'll hear an author's note from Tina herself after the stories are done, to give you a little insight from the writer. Always cool to see what's going on in their extraordinarily twisted minds, isn't it? So, without further ado, a day out with Stereoscopes, by Tina Connolly. This is the first stereoscope in the park. 72% of unattended humans stop to view the pictures in this stereoscope first. We suggest this is because they naturally need direction, and not because they are interested in this brief selection of historical jokes from Betty L. Duncan's 23rd Century Joke Factory. Please press blue button to continue. Here is the first joke of Betty L. Duncan. Why do the three-eyed aliens bank on the moon? Because there is not enough sun to go around. Please press the blue button when you have finished laughing. Here is the second joke of Betty L. Duncan. Why is a three-eyed alien like an iceberg dictator? The answer has been eradicated to meet contemporary decency standards. Press the blue button when you have finished laughing. If you do not wish to stop laughing, press the pink button to discover what happened to Betty L. Duncan on the final day of her life. You have pressed the pink button. On the final day of her life, Betty L. Duncan screamed for 15 hours. Would you want to be an ungrateful companion like her? It is unlikely. This interaction is finished. Please deposit another coin to replay the jokes of Betty L. Duncan, or continue to the next stereoscope. This stereoscope is out of service. Thumb your patron's coin from the slot and step to the next. This stereoscope contains instructions on building a bicycle machine so you can keep up with your swift, six-footed patron. First, attach your wings to the banana seat. Press any key to continue. Press any key. 
Press the red button if you did not bring your bicycle machine parts to the park today, despite the urgings of your patron. You are recalcitrant. This stereoscope contains the legend of Eiderwide. Eiderwide was found in a green cloth coronary at the seat of a crime. Two three-eyed aliens adopted her and raised her as their own larva. Here is a picture of Eiderwide dressed as the Queen of Nebraska. Here is a picture of Eiderwide legalizing voting rights for the three-eyed aliens. Here is a picture of Eiderwide when she elected a three-eyed alien named Zoom, president of the Eastern Seaboard. Here is a picture of Eiderwide, dead at age 297. She died by attack by motor car, and not by humans screaming traitor. If you wish to see pictures of her death, please confirm that you are legally sane. You have chosen insane. For you, the legend of Eiderwide ends with a picture of her fifth husband, a three-eyed alien named Foom. You may step down now. That yellow stuff beneath your feet is sand. In this stereoscope, you may try to shoot the flying pie plates. Though similar in appearance, the flying pie plates are not flying saucers. You need not fear reprisal. We would never suggest that you shoot at your patrons from the sky. Praise be to them. Please press the pink button when you wish to fire on a digital representation of a pie plate. You have exploded one pie plate. Two pie plates. Three pie plates. One alien bystander. Four pie plates. Two alien bystanders. Three alien bystanders. Four alien bystanders. Your game is being terminated for your own protection. Please do not try to access this terminal again. In this audioscope, we listen to you. This is an attempt to be a psychic machine. You will find it interesting. Think of what you want to see and we will display it. You are thinking of exploding alien bystander. Press the yellow button if this is correct. You are thinking of exploding spaceships. We warn you that you must not think of exploding spaceships. If you do not cease thinking of exploding spaceships, we will have to summon your patron. Past records of our linked termini suggest that you are willing to identify yourself as insane. Think of a pink elephant, if this is so. You are thinking of a blue rhinoceros. We suggest you have an inability to focus. Please summon your patron. In this dentoscope, we examine your teeth. Your teeth are in need of brushing and deep plaque removal. We will put a request into your patron to sedate you and deplaque your teeth. In the meantime, chomp on the knobbly bristle to begin your brushing process. You have chosen not to chomp. Past records from our linked termini suggest that you are easily distracted, violent, and unhygienic. Proceed to the next terminal where you will be put down. Do not have concern for the distress of your patron. You will be replaced with a pedigree model capable of walking, talking, and playing catch. It will have its papers and will be capable of brushing its own teeth. You will not regret this change. Please step along or mechanical arms will move you. You may consider the final joke of Betty L. Duncan as you proceed to the next stereoscope. Do you think a three-eyed alien is a kind, rational being capable of displaying love to all her adopted companions? The corrected answer is yes. While the medication takes effect, enjoy a classic dirge that your patron would have wished to sing to you were she here. Fifteen men sat in solemn dockets, their shirts neatly pressed. Too late, the crashing bottle rockets, the patrons are kind and just. Do you see how the kindness of patrons is greener than the sea? It is suspected you do not. In time, you will understand. Do not think of an exploding stereoscope.
Hard Choices by Tina Connolly. A. Your little sister is tired of picnicking and wants to explore a cave. She says if you don't come, she will tell mom what you were doing last Saturday. If you grudgingly accept her blackmail, go to B. If you let her tell mom that you were skinny dipping with Bitsy on the shapeshifter reservation, go to Z. B. The cave is dark. You try to scare your sister with tales of carnivorous shapeshifters who eat bad children. She says everyone knows that shapeshifters are cowardly beasts, easily beaten by the first planetary settlers. You ask why she knows so much history when you are flunking. If you vow to stop looking at Bitsy's shirt in history class, go to C. If you tell your sister to be quiet and respect her elders, go to D. C. You think about Bitsy's shirt as you explore the moist, dank cave. Stalactites drip on your head. Go to D. D. A swarm of glow bats fly at you. They have a wingspan as wide as your chest and are phosphorescent during mating season. It is suddenly so bright that your sister sees you drop and cower, trying frantically to get the feeling of claws and wings out of your hair. Let's go back, you squeal. But she says if you don't press on, she will tell Bitsy you're afraid of mating season. If you grab your sister and march her out of the cave, go to Z. If you dry your tears and press on, go to E. E. By the light of three hanging bats, you see cave paintings. One painting shows many differently shaped shapeshifters greeting a rocket ship. One painting shows the shapeshifters bringing stalks of grain to humans. One painting shows a yin-yang picture, a shapeshifter eating a human who is killing him with a spear. One painting shows the shapeshifters huddled in a circle, surrounded with lightning bolts. Graffiti, sniffs your sister. If you think about the struggles inherent in the coming together of two sentient species, and how we always seem to flub the hard choices, go to F. If you think about Bitsy's skin in sunlit water, go to F. F. Past the pictures, the cave forks in two. One tunnel smells like rotten eggs. One tunnel smells like the strawberry shampoo in Bitsy's hair. Your sister goes down the eggy path. If you follow her, go to H. If you follow the memory of Bitsy's hair, go to G. G. Your cave adventure was a funny prank by Bitsy, who paid your sister ten bucks to bring you to her. Bitsy is waiting for you, arrayed only in long locks of strawberry shampooed hair. Unfortunately, Bitsy is a carnivorous shapeshifter, and you die. H. At the end of the eggy tunnel is a bear. Since there are no bears on this planet, it is likely a carnivorous shapeshifter. If you proffer a handshake and recite the human shapeshifter protocol, go to I. If you throw your sister to the bear to buy time, go to J. I. The bear's paw becomes a maw and bites off your hand. It chews it up while it recites some manifesto about how it rejects the human shapeshifter protocol. You throw your sister to the bear to buy time. Go to K. J. You feel a little regret to try to save your sister. The bear bites off your hand. It spits the fingers on the floor. You feel ashamed that your fingers aren't worth eating. Go to K. K. Faint from blood and sister loss, you wrap your wrist in your shirt and run for the entrance. You lose some time when the bats fly over your head in a triumphal finish to their mating flight. Suddenly, Bitsy is there to save you. She helps you stand and dries your tears. She takes off her shirt and uses it to bandage your wrists. You feel a lot better. Then she eats you. Z. Your mother grounds you from the prom. Bitsy finds a new boy. 
When you are 31, the great shapeshifter revolt comes to fruition, the human settlement is overthrown, and the electric fencing destroyed for good. Bitsy finds you cowering in a bathroom, weeping that you will die a virgin. She makes love to you tenderly, sweetly, and you remember a day of sunlit water and glorious splashing. There is no fumbling. There is no miscommunication. There are no tears. Then, she eats you. Hi. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I promised I would talk a little bit about the process, uh, but we do have a five-month-old baby here, so bear with me if I get a little rambly. Um, stereoscopes. So back in 2006, I went to Clarion West, which was awesome. And after that, uh, I decided I need to buckle down and I was going to start writing 500 words every single day. Uh, this worked fine when I had a project going, uh, but on days when I was really tired and I hadn't gotten to it, I still had to meet the 500 words regardless. And many of those I started writing while half asleep. Well, this resulted in some things I really liked. And um, stereoscopes came out of this too as definitely one of the weirder pieces written while falling asleep. Uh, I have here the, the original pulled up. It was, this story is interesting to me because I just sort of wrote it uh, thinking more about the rhythm of the piece, which is something I do a lot anyway, uh, but especially when falling asleep. So it was written more towards how it sounded and not towards how it made sense at first. And so all the sense that it makes, if it makes sense, uh, was pulled out in the rewrites. So the first rotoscope, he's, they're, uh, they're telling the jokes, Betty L. Duncan's jokes. Betty L. Duncan, by the way, was pulled from me staring blankly at my bookcase and taking the first name off of one author and the middle initial off of someone else and the last name off of Dave Duncan. I do remember that one. That's what happens when you're falling asleep. Well, in the final draft, the first joke is, why do the three-eyed three aliens bank on the moon? Because there's not enough sun to go around. And the second joke is, why is a three-eyed alien like an iceberg dictator? Sorry, the answer to this has been eradicated to meet contemporary decency standards. Uh, so those made sense with the context that I originally figured out for this story, which is the, the sort of alien takeover that this is being written in the, the far future. So this was definitely a story that sort of had the similar structure at the beginning, but did not have much coherency until a lot of rewriting was done on it. But despite its weirdness, or probably because of it, it this is one of my all-time favorite pieces and one that I, I get a lot of uh, positive comments on from other writers uh, for whatever reason. The, the other piece, Hard Choices, came out of a flash fiction contest at Codex, which is an online writing group. I went back to look at the prompts that were given for that week and... I must have used the one that says, write about someone whose freedom is coming to an end, and he or she struggles to change this fate. I don't remember that part. What I do remember is that once I figured out that I wanted to write a choose-your-own-adventure, that became my own puzzle of how 
how I could possibly write a whole choose-your-own-adventure in only 750 words, which is the upper limit. And that was, this is very fun. I like puzzles. I like uh, writing to uh, fun strictures that have been assigned. So I did have a very good time on this one. Um, I designed it to be read straight through, which is probably obvious. My history with choose-your-own-adventures is amusing to me. I was not allowed to read them growing up. For whatever reason, my mother um, would basically allow us to read everything and anything we ever wanted, but occasionally she would run across something and decide that it just wasn't good literature. And Choose Your Own Adventures, for whatever reason, fell into that. So I would sit there in the library because, of course, I was a library aide in grade school, yes, and I would sit there and pull them off the shelves and flip to page 42, what happened? Go back, hold, holding your thumbs in it the whole time, you know, secretly sitting there in the aisle, reading my Choose Your Own Adventure. Very sad. <laughs> so, two of my favorite pieces. I'm very thrilled to have them here in Drabblecast. Thank you so much. Uh, to close, I'm going to go ahead and read you uh, one of my poems, because I am much more familiar with reading fiction than rambling on about my own stuff. Uh, I was an actor for a long time until I decided that writing was uh, meant you could do your art at home in your pajamas. So, a poem. And my sinuses are killing me, which first appeared in Asimov's a few years ago. They never understood urban, these little green men with their fluorotechnology. Their business was restoring forests. They brought lovely brochures, dappled groves, and russet and green. Well, we've got it, don't we? New York choked in ivy, palmy Detroit and redwood KC. Don't get me started on Seattle. You can't drive a block for the algae. What mad urban jungle sprouts tulips between taxicabs? It's not right. I miss honest gray towers, hard blocks of city. Give me back my smog, little green men. Let me find my own urban peace. Bravo. Pretty cool. Great pair of women alien stories to go out on. Oh, and speaking of going out, by the time any of you are listening to this, I've already begun a bit of an epic road trip across the country, coast to coast, Baltimore to San Francisco. Because, like Tina, I'm also a big fan of choose-your-own-adventure stories. And what else is the interstate highway system if not a big-ass one of those? I'm going through Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, South Dakota, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, where to party is, Arizona, Nevada, and California. Gonna be camping and couch crashing the entire time. So if you're interested in taking old Uncle Norm under your roof and you don't want to watch me sleep, there might be a pickle in it for you. No promises. Shoot an email over to Drabblecast at yahoo.com and let me know. You might be on my route. I might be dressed up as Martin Lawrence. It'll be good times. Also, I'll be podcasting from the road. Next week's show ought to be coming to you from the baddest lands around. The bad lands. It's exciting. It's wiggly tough. It's just South Dakota. It's trifecta special 16. Fudge nipple, I can't wait. All right, so next order of business. Our kick-ass donor of the week this week is... Sean Robertson. 
This is just a quick one because Sean's a meek kind of guy, but he's also got one of the coolest jobs freaking ever. He gets to study bugs for a living. That's right, he's an entomologist, and I'm a jealous bastard. Sean works for the USDA, and he lives in Raleigh with his wife, Monica, and three children. He just wanted to salute all the podcasters out there who bring great fiction alive and deliver it right to the ears of all grateful fans like him. The imagination and thought that good stories by good writers inspire makes our lives happier, he says. And what else could we ask of a hero? Oh, well, thank you, Sean, for helping us. Because of people like you, you know, it's just sploosh, drabblecast everywhere. Without the cleanup, keep poking at arthropods and living the dream, my friend. You folks at home, if you're fans of the show, there's an easy way you can help support us. You can chuck us a donation or even sign up for a small monthly subscription. Links to those things are right there at drabblecast.org. You can't miss them. Be our patron. We'll chomp your knobbly bristle. We'll chomp the shit out of that thing. No, but for real, we really appreciate your donations, and so do the authors we're able to pay because of them. It's win-win. All right, next on the Allenda, this week's 100-character story winner. This in here by first-time winner Equin Ian. Here goes. Bobby the Bull eagerly pulled his new remote control matador out of the box. Charge before use, he read. Well, duh. Nice one. See, that's why IKEA takes all that time to draw out in detail all the assembly instructions, rather than relying on dense and nebulous words. There's no confusion. I mean, when you see a Klingon Flugnarkin Snooky, you know exactly what you're getting. It's not like you're going to go home and find out it's just a digital representation of a Klingon Flugnarkin Snooky, similar in appearance. Well, you'd probably have to go to Best Buy for that anyway. Praise be to them. Follow us on Twitter if you do that thing. We're at the Drabblecast. All right, folks, that's our show. Remember, it's brought to you with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Special thanks to this week's awesome episode artist, Kelly Martinez. Kelly's an artist living in Texas with her husband, one cat, and an overactive imagination. She often listens to the Drabblecast while drawing. You can find her on the web at kmartinez.posteris.com. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, an alien living in a cave pretending to be a bear, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to bring your bicycle machine parts to the park today. Mm-hmm.